up. It is me, George G, and we've got another awesome episode of the Aligned Money Show coming your way featuring Andy Baxley. He's a fiduciary financial advisor, CFP, a CIMA, a CEFT, senior financial planner with the Planning Center. We had an awesome conversation about finding your financial purpose. We talked about making financial planning fun and more in depth and creating a creative retirement timeline, just re- kind of rethinking instead of just saying I'm going to retire at 65, really thinking about when it is you wanted to retire, what you want your life to look like. Talked about the importance of community and creativity and when you create something, when you write something, uh, when you make something, sharing it with the people that you care about and all the benefits that come with that. So it was an awesome conversation. I think that you are going to like it. Let's go. Andy, to get us started, let's do two truths and a lie. All right. I've got some good ones for you here, George. So here they are. Number one, I've been to over 100 Chicago Bears games. Number two, My great-grandfather led the development of the moving assembly line for Ford Motor Company in 1913. And number three, I lived in Seoul, South Korea for four years. Those are good ones. I bet the Bears game is a lie. How did you know that? Yes! (laughs) It's all just guesswork. It's all just guesswork. I, I, I bet you've been to a lot of, if you've been to like 99 Bears games or something like I've that. I've been to or... zero Bears games. So I, I'm ashamed. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say this because I do live in Chicago, but I've only been here uh, four years or so now. And a good chunk of that time was, was COVID. And uh, I have to admit, I'm also just not as big a football fan as I used to be. So, so no Bears games, but I do intend to go to one uh, before I leave here one day. Awesome. I love it. Well, I'm excited to have have you on and dig into everything. What is top of mind for you right now? You know, I, there's a there's a few things that are top of mind right now. For me, uh, I think the one that I'm thinking the most about right now is this idea of a statement of financial purpose. So this idea that, you know, I'm a financial advisor. I help clients with their money. And uh, there's a lot of tactical advice I can give. I can tell you how to how to build your portfolio. I can tell you how much to save. I can tell you what types of insurance policies you should buy. But something that I've realized over the course of my career is, you know, if we don't tie all that advice into a deeper why, uh, a deeper sense of purpose that, you know, often the advice just ends up being bad. It might be a good rule of thumb. Um, It might work for most people, but if you don't really understand what's important to the person that you're, that you're sitting across from, then and I think the advice often just doesn't quite hit the mark. So I've been thinking a lot about my own statement of financial purpose. How do I help clients get clear on their statements of financial purpose? And and once we've done so, how do we use that as a lens uh, to, to look through whenever a financial decision or any life decision comes our way? Well, I I love it. That is music to my ears right there. I couldn't agree more. So it sounds like there's a benefit to the client, obviously, but then a benefit to you as the advisor as well, having clarity around that. I think that's right. I think there's, I think there's multiple benefits to both sides. For me, what I've experienced, you know, I've been experimenting with this idea for a while now. I first got it from Carl Richards uh, in his book, The One Page Financial Plan. And uh, what I've noticed as I've done this work with clients is 
you know, yes, it benefits me because whenever there's a big decision to be made, like I said, we now have that lens to look through when making that decision. And I think that just leads to better decision-making down the road. Uh, I've also noticed it, it leads to a lot more fun at work. These are really fun conversations to be having with people. And when you practice and learn how to have them skillfully, uh, it just leads to much deeper, more in-depth meetings and, and really in-depth in the way that you want a meeting to be in-depth, not getting lost in the weeds uh, behind the numbers and, you know, how's my portfolio doing compared to this benchmark? But but again, taking that step back and, and exploring the deeper purpose. So so I've loved what it's done for my relationships with clients. You know, I think my relationships with my clients is much closer. Uh, I've become uh, a trusted thinking partner for them in a way that that maybe I wasn't quite before. So yeah, it's been beneficial in a number of ways. More fun. I am game for that for sure. Trusted thinking partner. I like that a lot. Tell me a little bit more. Well, I think we can all probably agree, or most of us can agree. I certainly would say this about myself, that when it comes to other people's money, I could think really clearly about your money, George. I can think really clearly about what, what you should be doing. Uh, but when that same exact question comes my way, um, there's all kinds of biases and uh, ego and you know the voice of my mom and dad, the voice of society, all these things that sort of come in and create this very interesting stew in my head that can really cloud my decision-making and just make it really difficult for me to think clearly. So again, you know, if somebody else is asking me for advice, you can cut through all that really easily when it's somebody else, because you're, you're separate from it. Right. Um, and I ultimately think that that's the role of a really good financial advisor. In addition to all that technical expertise is somebody to sit beside you and say, okay, here are the facts. Um, here's what I hear you saying is important to you. And, and here's my perspective on that. And having that additional perspective often, I think, can be the difference between uh, success, however you define that, and, and failure. Wouldn't be interesting and probably a lot easier if everybody just walked in with a blank slate without any existing biases or without feeling the pressure of assumptions from family or coworkers or neighbors and just society and everything else, but that's not how it goes. We have all of those things that we are just, that's just present. You could say that they're bad. Some might be good, but it's there. And to pretend like they're not, and to pretend like those aren't influencing decisions is, is, is a bad idea. So changing the conversation and going deeper into let's strip this away as best we can and find out what is really most important to you. That's right. And one of the one of the areas that I've always found really interesting as it pertains to all of this is uh, retirement timelines. So when somebody comes to you and they say, "I want to retire at sixty-five," where do you think that number is coming from? <laughs> you know, do you, do you think that they actually want to retire at sixty-five, or they, you know, if you'd ask them when they were ten, you know, what's your deepest dream of retirement? They're gonna say, "Well, sixty-five. That's the age." You know, no, of course not. That's not. Uh, that's not something that's naturally inside of us. That's that's a, a narrative that was told to us. And, you know, I think largely the idea of retiring at 65 or 67 or whatever it may be is kind of pegged to the when we can claim social security. But I love this idea of creative retirement timelines. And that could be anything from earlier retirement, later retirement, phased retirement, periodic sabbaticals, um, any number of, of different ways you might get a little bit more creative with the timeline of your work life. I love exploring that with clients because often, A, they just haven't really thought about it. They haven't thought about what's possible. And it's just this really obvious way in which 
when we kind of step back and say, gosh, yeah, why do I want to retire in my 60s? What is it about my 60s that's special? And you realize, well, there's really nothing special about your 60s. Um, ultimately, it, it becomes a math problem, which we can solve, but then it's also a problem of uh, what's important to you. And, and if you could design life however you wanted to design it, what would that look like? Uh, and that's a much more fun conversation than, you know, how do we just blindly follow this traditional nine to five to over 65 narrative? That's so funny, right? 65, it's just such an arbitrary age, but what do you think? Like 90% of people would, would, would give you that number if, if just randomly asked. Yeah. And, and I think that changes through time. I think that's right. I think it probably would be 90% or more. A couple hundred years ago, you asked me that question and say, what's retirement? What do you mean? When am I going to retire? I mean, a couple hundred years ago, you worked till you died. That was retirement, right? You worked till you died or, or till you just simply weren't able to work anymore. Um, then with the advent of modern pensions and, and the social security system here in the United States, uh, we started to think about that a little differently and say, okay, well, maybe we can step away from work and, and live another 10 years beyond our working life and then see life expectancies increase here, especially in the last hundred years or so. Well, now we've got this sort of arbitrary age 65 thing that's pegged to pensions and social security. But then we also have this life expectancy of another 30 years beyond that for a lot of people. Uh, and the questions around how do I fill that time? What exactly do I do I do with that time? And all of this is to say, I think it all comes together into this moment we have where we can start to question some of those assumptions and say, okay, we're living longer, we're healthier for longer. Uh, how do we actually want want this to play out and how do we maybe step outside of the box a little bit yeah such a huge and fun opportunity going back to that word fun which probably be, people don't commonly associate with financial advice or money in general but it's a whole world that that opens up like take out a blank canvas and whatever your favorite kind of writing utensil is if it's a crayon or some markers or pencils and let's talk about what you want your life to look like you can make it look like anything what's your answer to that question george i'm curious in terms of just the whole thing or uh, in terms of how you think about work and life and balancing those two and how long you want to work what types of work you want to do i found that i i it's helpful for me to break down my life into six different areas. So I'm just instead of thinking about life, because I can't get my arms or my head around that. So I think about what I want for my family, my community, for my work and for my finances. I kind of lump those together. Maybe I shouldn't um, from a well-being perspective. So my physical health and mental and spiritual um, from a learning perspective. So personal development, what do I want to do just for the sake of learning? And then finally, from a kind of a peace of mind, spiritual. And so when I break it down like that, I, I can... I don't want to say attack the problem, but it just helps me to kind of get clarity or give myself prompts a little bit more as opposed to just sort of being overwhelmed with, oh my God, I have no idea. I don't I don't even know where to start. So Yeah, I love that. I, I don't know if you've ever encountered a exercise out there called the wheel of life. Uh, I highly encourage anyone to Google it. It should be one of the first things that pops up on like a Google image search, but it effectively breaks life down into these different components not too dissimilar to the ones that you just mentioned. And, and the idea behind it is if you imagine a wheel with different spokes, each of those facets of life is a spoke on the wheel. And you're meant to effectively rate on a scale of one to 10 with one being, you know, I'm so far from ideal in this, this particular area of life and 10 being, you know, everything's perfect. I couldn't imagine it being any better. Then you just kind of rate on a scale of one to 10, you know, how are things with my work? How are things with my finances? 
how are things going with my community? And what's really interesting, I've done this exercise with dozens and dozens of clients at this point. It's just really interesting to see how challenging it is to have all of those maxed out at the same time. You know, we move through life in these different chapters and uh, in one chapter, you might be scoring really high on certain facets and not so high on others. And then as time goes on, that starts to shift. So I think taking that really high level holistic viewpoint of, of wellness and including, you know, not just your, your working life and your finances, but everything else as well. And looking at that all on one page can be very powerful. For sure. And I bet people like that. I bet they kind of like to be able to say, you know what, I'm probably right now, I'm probably a seven or an eight and which is, and that's probably like, sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm at six or seven. But other times people say, you know, I'm totally fine with that. I'm just, I'm in the middle of my kids or we're growing a business. So it's that, that season of life, but maybe in a couple of years I can revisit it. Yeah, that's it. I, I have a, a two-year-old almost and a, another baby on the way this month, actually. And uh, when I think about like leisure, for example, maybe being one of those facets of life, I'd probably give it a, I don't know, a four or a five, but honestly, that's great. <laughs> right now, you know, at this, at this stage of my life, I'm, you know, I get some time every night to curl up with a book before bed and I get to walk my dog every morning. And, and that's plenty for me at this, in this chapter, whereas you know, in my fifties or my sixties, if that's all I get to do with my free time, then, then that might not be as, as, uh, as satisfying, but again, back to this idea of different chapters for different moments. Right. Yeah. And all that is predicated on thinking about it and considering what is important to me. What do I want this to look like? I'm here now. I could always be here if I never think about it or do anything about it, but I do have the ability to set an intention set some goals and actually put them into action and, and, and work towards them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I think you, you open up that Pandora's box a little bit, you know, just everything kind of bursts open and it can lead to some really neat outcomes. I think when you start thinking that way and, and, you know, ultimately when I think about why do we even do this type of work, it really comes back to this idea of regret minimization. You know, when you get to, we're all going to die one day unless, technology really progresses in a <laughs> in a really uh, unexpected way that allows us to be immortal but assuming we're all going to die one day you know we are going to look back on our lives and and we're going to ask ourselves what are we really proud we did what do we wish we had done that we didn't get a chance to do and and asking these questions while we still have our health or while we still have time uh, i think that's really the why behind this is to regret those long term or to minimize those long term regrets because those are real those are real. I know I've read about in the past the most common regrets of people on, on their deathbed. And when you read them, you're like, oh, my goodness, I do not want to find myself in that position where I am also filled with those kinds of regrets. So I love that idea of regret minimization. I have to imagine that going through a process like this, having the conversations like we've been having, it then makes the actual financial planning stuff a lot easier. Yeah, certainly it does. Certainly it does. I mean, every single decision we make in our personal finance uh, with our personal finances involves trade-offs, right? Literally every single one of them, even if it's, you know, do I get this term life insurance policy or not? It's like, well, that's going to cost you a little bit of money each month. And and is that trade-off worth it? Or, or what's the opportunity cost with those dollars? Um, so when we have this deeper sense of purpose, you know, for me, so much of my purpose is around protecting my family and giving them opportunity. Uh, and I know probably a lot of parents out there will will resonate with that. 
then it's like, well, yeah, my term life insurance costs me 50 bucks a month. And that is the best money that I spend, right? Because if something were to happen to me unexpectedly, I wouldn't want, um, I wouldn't want those opportunities to be taken away. So all that is to say, when you've done that work around purpose and understanding what's important, you have that lens and you can look at every single decision that comes your way, everything, every single trade-off that comes your way through that lens and just see it much more clearly. I think that that's really powerful. It's like one of my favorite quotes from Thomas Sowell is there's no solutions, there's only trade-offs. And right. the more informed you can, or the more better, the better you can get at making decisions. And when what you've been talking about, linking those decisions to whatever is most important to you, that just increases our chances of, not, it's never going to be perfect and it's not supposed to be, but it just gets us closer to what we actually want. Yeah, it's it's never going to be perfect, and I'll also say it's never going to be static either, right? The the just because we've determined, okay, this is what I value, this is my sense of purpose right now. Here's the lens I'm going to look at these problems through. That's not going to be the same lens ten years from now, right? You have to continue to revisit these things. When I think about, I'm 37 now. When I think about what was important to me back when I was 25, you know, the values then were. How do I adventure? How do I get out in the world? How do I have experiences? How do I meet lots of different and interesting people? And it's not that I don't care about those things now. I've, I've carried that those values with me today, and we still love to travel as a family. But when I think about my core values and what's most important and what's most deserving of my, my time and my attention and my financial resources, the answer is just a lot different now. Um, and so I think leaving space for that evolution and that growth is, is important too. Yeah, I think it's a really, really healthy thing, for sure. And uh, a two-year-old and one on the way this month coming up. Well, that'll certainly uh, that'll certainly make things uh, more fun. Also, Andy, are you ready? Uh, I think we're getting there. We're we're going to be putting due date is December thirty first. We're going to be putting the crib together this weekend. Uh, fortunately. All the stuff we use for baby number one can pretty much get reused for baby number two. Uh, so I will say there's a lot less anxiety going into baby number two uh, than baby number one. But, you know, there's always always those fears around loss of sleep and loss of free time and and the normal anxieties that come, come along with welcoming a new family member. But all things considered, being a dad is is certainly the most fun I've ever had. And I'm just expecting that to double with number two. So we'll see. You might have to bring me on to see if that turned out to be the case <laughs> at some point. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Let's just plan to do that. So exciting times going from one to two and maybe who, who knows, Andy, two to three or three to four, five to six, whatever. Hey, depends. Depends who you talk to. Uh, if you talk to my <laughs> wife uh, on a good day, she'd probably say three. You talk to me on pretty much any day. I'm, I'm good at stopping it too, but we'll see. You know, I'm <laughs> happy to explore the third potential. You never know what's going to happen. Like we said, you got to leave room for that evolution, right? Got to leave room. Got to leave room. Different seasons of life. I love it. Well, Andy, we are ready for that difference making tip. What do you have for us? My tip for everyone is something that, you know, I just recently had a birthday and I looked back on the last year or so uh, on what was the one lesson that I learned this past year that was most valuable. And, and it's what I'll share with you today. And it is uh, sort of a two-parter. So find your community and then do your work in public. And what I mean by that is, you know, find find your community, meaning find the people that you really resonate with, whether that be in a professional setting, that's where I learned this, but it could be other settings as well. But really find find the people who are 
like-minded enough that you feel at home, but not so like-minded that uh, you don't have plenty of new ideas to share with each other. Um, but then once you've found that community, you know, anytime you're doing especially creative work, really share that work with those people. Uh, the specific, specific example I'll give is actually tying back to this idea of a statement of financial purpose. Uh, I had created an exercise um, to help clients establish a statement of financial purpose. And I shared that with some folks in, in my community, a, a professional group of other advisors called the Society of Advice that was put together by Carl Richards. Uh, and anyway, long story short, I, I shared that. It got passed around a little bit. And and now Carl and myself and, and our friend Jeremy Walter are all working together to create a course for fellow advisors. And you know, if you had told me a year ago that I would get to work with those two guys on a project, I my head would have just exploded. It wouldn't have felt uh, even remotely possible to me because um, they were just two people I had looked up to for so long. Uh, and by finding that community, sharing my work in public, one thing led to another. And and now I'm involved in this project that I'm just incredibly excited about, uh, incredibly excited to bring to the advisory community. Uh, and it never would have happened if I hadn't shared it in public. So, so that was a big lesson for me this year. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets a con. Andy, I, I, I love everything about that. I love everything about uh, reviewing your year, talking about what you've learned. I think that that's super cool and something that I do as well. And scratching your creative itch and letting your inner artist or creative or however you think about it, do that work, but then taking it the next step further and sharing it and look what's come out of it. I think that that's totally incredible. So well done. Thanks, George. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? No, I, I hate to say it. I'm not terribly active on social media, but the one place I am fairly active is LinkedIn. So you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can read my my bio at theplanningcenter.com. Uh, Planning Center is the name of the firm that I work for. Uh, or you can reach out to me directly at andy at theplanningcenter.com. Excellent. If you enjoyed this as much as I did, go to theplanningcenter.com and find Andy Baxley. Find Andy on LinkedIn as well. And I will link all of those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Andy. Thanks, George. Great to be here. And finally, a friendly reminder that there will never be anybody more interested in your financial success than you are. So act accordingly.